Hey, this is Mia, and welcome to Friends After College. Hello, everyone. How's everybody doing? I personally am doing kind of meh. Um, Work has been kicking my ass these days, but it's all good. I genuinely do love my job. I've just been super busy, and I feel like I've been having that thing where, you know, you sit and work for like five straight hours, but then when you finally get up and do something else, you just kind of dissociate and like can't really focus on what you're doing. Uh, Maybe that's just me. I don't know if that's relatable, but anyways, let's get into this week's episode. So this week I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Jacqueline Rifkin. She is a researcher and assistant professor at Cornell and she studies consumer behavior, which is what I was most interested in in college and it kind of relates to my job now. So that was super cool. I had actually reached out to one of my favorite professors from USC about this specific topic that we're about to get into And she connected me with Jacqueline, and I seriously could not be more grateful because our conversation was just so interesting and fun. So Jacqueline has a bachelor's degree in psychology from Penn and a PhD in marketing from Duke, which is just so ridiculous to me that someone could be that smart and accomplished, but I digress. As you will hear in my interview with her, Jacqueline's research focuses a lot on the ways that consumers spend their money, their time, their energy, and sort of just how that plays into their identities. She is currently working on two papers about the concept of FOMO, or fear of missing out, which was why I wanted to interview her. In our conversation, we get into the actual psychology behind FOMO, what that means for us as individuals, how social media plays into FOMO, and how we can sort of overcome that awful feeling we get when we know we're missing out on something. I personally have a lot of experience with FOMO, and I know a lot of my friends do as well. I definitely had it a lot in high school and college, and I think it was the worst when I had said no to a social occasion because I just wasn't feeling it in the moment or because I was having anxiety for whatever reason. And then, you know, people would go and I would see a million photos and videos on their Instagram and Snapchat stories, basically of all my favorite people just having a blast together. I still definitely do get FOMO from time to time, but it's not nearly as bad or as frequent as I used to have it. Um, And I think that's because since leaving college, I've decided that I want to be a lot more intentional about the events that I say yes to. And I only go to social things now when I know I really want to. And we will get a little bit into that during this interview. So yeah, with that, I hope you enjoy this interview with Jacqueline Rifkin. And I hope you can learn something new or get something personal out of it because I certainly did. All right. Hello. Hi, how are you? Welcome to the Friends After College podcast. I'm so excited that you're here and really excited to just kind of get into all of your work and everything that you've kind of learned Um, through all of your research. So could you introduce yourself and just tell me a little bit about your background um, and sort of just your personal journey with friendships throughout the years? And I I ask every guest this question. 
Yeah. So, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to chat uh, about friendships and FOMO today. Um, so my name is Jacqueline Rifkin. Um, I'm an assistant professor in marketing. Uh, currently, uh, I work at the University of Missouri in Kansas City, uh, although uh, 10 days from now, that will no longer be the case. Um, on July 1st, I'll be starting at Cornell University. So I'm moving this summer and beginning the process of uh, making new friends. So uh, it's a timely conversation. In terms of my uh, personal journey with friendships, I, I love this question. And it's something that's always <laughs> on my mind. Um, I, uh, in grade school and middle school, was very much kind of the tomboy that only had male friends, um, in part because I was quite a bit younger than a lot of the other people in my grade. Um, in college, I was in uh, the marching band, which is where I met some of my best friends and also my husband. So it was sort of a, everybody's thrown into the same situation. You just naturally become friends. <laughs> Um, but then once college is over, yeah, you have to be a lot more intentional. And so um, I've learned a lot about um, how to be more vulnerable um, and how to um, uh, be intimate in, in friendships. So, um, you know, stating your feelings and, and just kind of, yeah, almost like relearning how to do friendship as an adult. So it's been a journey for me. Totally. That's so great to hear because I'm like in the midst of all of that right now. I'm now a year out of college still trying to figure it out. And it's, it's comforting to know that people who have been doing it for a little bit also are still kind of like figuring that out and have these different life transitions. Like you're moving on to Cornell and you're going to have to deal with that all over again. Um, so it's scary to hear, but also really encouraging. Um, so to get a little bit into your work and what you're doing now, could you talk a little bit about what you do and particularly what got you interested in consumer behavior and sort of like what niches within consumer behavior are you most familiar with and most interested in? Yeah. So, um, so in college, I was a psych major. Um, I knew I was really interested in psychology. Um, and I, I kept noticing that the kind of core psych courses never grabbed me. What really got me excited were the electives that were applications of psych. So I had a criminology course that was sort of psych influence that I loved. Um, I had uh, a neuroscience course that was sort of, again, kind of applied psych that I loved. And then when I was a junior, I took uh, my first consumer behavior class because that was sort of like the marketing application of psychology. And I completely fell in love with it. Um, I loved being able to use these kind of core psych principles and theories, um, but then apply them onto something that felt real and resonant and something that was really easy to talk about with people that weren't necessarily like researchers or professors. Um, it just felt like... Uh, it felt like you got to study something that was just real and kind of everywhere um, rather than something that's sort of, you know, esoteric or you can only see it through a microscope or something totally. like that. Um, so uh, in terms of the area of consumer behavior that um, I'm sort of most interested in, um, I'm really interested in consumer resources. Um, so I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about, you know, energy. Where do you spend your energy? Where do you spend your caloric intake, your mental bandwidth, like the things that you can remember and handle? Um, so I'm interested in how consumers make decisions about their own time spend, money spend, all of that, but also what 
happens when we see how other people are using their time and money? Um, you know, one of the earliest kind of things that used to fascinate me was, and especially leaving college and moving into my first job was, how am I going to spend my PTO days? How am I going to spend my 10 PTO days? And what do I make of other people and how they're spending their PTO days? Um, and so, you know, this this topic of FOMO that I think we're probably about to jump into is sort of <laughs> yeah. born out of that because that's sort of the crux of I've made a decision about how I'm going to use my time. I'm not going to go to this thing or I can't go to this thing. And now I'm immediately confronted with information on social media. Uh, well, they went and they're there uh, and and the all the feelings that can come from right. that. Totally. And I was, as I was going through some of your work that you've published, um, I was looking into just how it all kind of ties together in this way of like how people spend their time and money, not necessarily for themselves, but how they want for how they want to be perceived and for how they want other people to see their identity and, and the, the identity that they want to put out into the world. And I think that FOMO has a lot to do with that. Um, and I personally am not a big partier. I mean, I'm 23, so I like should be, but I don't like spending my time and money doing that really, but I almost feel like I have to. And I think that plays a lot into it. So kind of getting into FOMO, like I, I know that it's this societal term that we use, but it's an actual like something going on in our brains, right? It's like an actual scientific phenomenon, psychological phenomenon. So could you get a little bit into that as scientific or non-scientific as you would like to be? Sure. Yeah. So what's interesting is that, um, I um, have a couple of projects that look at FOMO. They're both with the same two co-authors, Cindy Chan, who's at the University of Toronto, and Barbara Kahn, who's at the University of Pennsylvania. When we started this project, we um, all were affiliated with Penn in some way, shape, or form. So I went to undergrad there, Cindy got her PhD there, and Barbara is on the faculty there. Gotcha. Um, we uh, we started this project probably eight years ago now, and even over the uh, series of projects, um, over those eight years, the meaning of FOMO I feel like has changed, particularly in the zeitgeist, the um, the pockets of the world in which you see it being used has evolved. I feel like lately you see a lot of FOMO among. Um, like finance bros and investors <laughs> and NFTs and these um, kind of like oddball investment strategies. There's a lot of FOMO in, in those circles and I am not in those circles, but <laughs> anyway. Um, so uh, as the term has evolved in terms of how people use it, how people understand it, we've had to sort of carve out our niche on what do we think FOMO um, is when people talk about it or what's sort of the closest approximation to what we think FOMO is because right. everybody has kind of a slightly different understanding. What we talk about um, in our papers is that um, when you uh, miss out on a social event, um, there's different things that you're missing out on. So you're missing out on um, kind of the tangible thing. So if there's food and drink served, you're missing out on the food and drink. Um, if it's uh, a lecture where people are learning knowledge, you're uh, literally missing out um, on that knowledge. Or if it's an exercise class, you've missed out on the opportunity to get in a workout. Um, but there's also something more ephemeral that's happening there, and that's that people are bonding with each other. So they're talking, they're making memories. I think a really concrete example that a lot of us can understand is inside jokes, these sort of 
yeah. stories or catchphrases or nicknames that sort of come up just from the moment. Um, and if you were there, you get it. And if you weren't, you don't. Um, and so what we talk about and study in our work is that FOMO is really this kind of anxiety or, or upset that comes specifically from the knowledge that you weren't able to uh, reinforce your bonding or reinforce your social connection. So, you know, I missed the food and that's annoying. And I, I missed, you know, whatever, getting a chance to meet a celebrity. And that's also annoying. That's uh, an actual story (laughs) of mine. Um, But the fact that my friends were together and they were bonding and they were sort of deepening their connection and creating a social history together. And I wasn't there to sort of um, keep up. um, That's where that kind of FOMO pain comes from. Gotcha. That's so interesting to frame it as an anxiety because I never really thought about it that way, but I've kind of found in my own life, I have really bad anxiety um, and I've struggled with it for years. And it's very similar when I'm having like, not necessarily an anxiety attack, but a really bad sort of anxious episode, that feeling over work or whatever it is, if I'm experiencing FOMO, it's like such a similar feeling inside me. And I think I never really thought about it that way. Um, and I also have a lot of friends who deal with anxiety who also deal with really bad FOMO. So I think that that's a really interesting, um, just sort of mesh of things going on in our brains. Um, and is there anything that you think societally or within an individual that would make FOMO worse? Like, do you think maybe extroverts have worse FOMO than introverts do? That's really interesting. I was actually going to bring up the introvert extrovert kind of framework for um, another one of your questions. So we can kind of save that. Um, So one thing that we um, look at in our um, two papers um, is an individual difference. So a trait that kind of varies across people um, called anxious attachment. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever encountered the attachment literature sort of historically studied between mothers and babies and then got adapted to you know, romantic couples, and then now more recently is being adapted to friendships. Um, and for for anybody that's unfamiliar, uh, anxious attachment is this um, way of attaching to people that's really characterized by a fear of abandonment, a fear of rejection, a sense that, you know, they don't like me as much as I like them. It's very much kind of on this back foot that I'm, I'm concerned that that they don't need me as much as I need them. And what we find time and time again in our experiments is that people who um, have a a more anxious attachment to their friend group, so they are more likely to endorse statements like they don't need me as much as I need them, um, they get really bad FOMO. Um, And so that's sort of how we bring it back to, you know, this is more evidence that it's related to anxiety. And it's also more evidence that's related this is related to this desire to feel um, part of the group. Um, If we're sort of chronically concerned about being left behind, then these moments where they're at the party and I'm not um, is like like flaring up that fear of, you know, maybe this is the party where they ultimately decide to leave me behind. Totally. That's so interesting. And I I think back to, some of my consumer behavior classes. And when we talked about that and being left out of the group, that's like such a prehistoric human thing that we experience because in caveman times you get left behind. That means you're dead. 
And that is so interesting that that, you know, thousands and thousands of years later is still playing and in, in not so, you know, life and death of a way, but um, we still have that desire to just always be with the group and, and to never be left out. So kind of getting into my next question with that, um, how can FOMO sort of like play out in our personal lives? And do you think that there's any good that can come out of it? Because all I see is people being miserable when they're experiencing FOMO. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 th- I think it's a net negative. Um, but I think it's a, I think it's a good question. So, um, there has been talk from other folks, not from our research group that, you know, FOMO may be part of the reason why college students and other young people are so overscheduled and overprogrammed. You know, you want to say yes to every single meeting that comes along. You want to say yes to every single bachelor or bachelorette party that you get invited to. And so that's, what's creating, you know, kind of further time strain, money strain, burnout, energy strain. And so, you know, I, I, I buy that. I think there's people that, you know, they kind of get sick of that feeling of FOMO. And so they kind of say to themselves, I'm not going to miss out on things if I can't help it, uh, which I think can, can be challenging. Um, that being said, the upshot, um, potentially, uh, was where I was going to bring up the whole extrovert introvert thing. So I I'm rather introverted, and I find that um, FOMO is sometimes what gets me out of the house when I would prefer to stay home in my PJs and watch Netflix. I think, gosh, if there's some something that happens where they've all they're all now kind of linked by this, they're all sort of transformed by this experience, no matter how minor. And I wasn't there for it that's going to bug me and it's going to bug me for a long time. So I'll just go. Um, (laughs) And so I've never tested this, but I do have this feeling that perhaps, you know, um, introverts, a little bit of FOMO, not a lot, not anguish, (laughs) but a little bit of FOMO might help get people out the door. Um, And while we haven't tested that, something that we have looked at is um, the notion of brands using FOMO in their marketing Um, And what we find is that when brands can stimulate FOMO, like for instance, Lululemon will have yoga classes in their stores and then they'll post these pictures and you're like, oh, I, you know, I I wasn't there. I'm annoyed. I'm anxious. Um, It can stimulate this desire to engage. It's like, I'm going to go next time. I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen again. And so I do think both from kind of the introvert perspective, but also from kind of the brand kind of customer relationship perspective, it does seem like FOMO can spark this desire to engage. And so to the extent that kind of getting back in the game is helpful or healthy, then I think that maybe trace amounts of FOMO can kind of get us over that hump. Right. No, I totally see that. And, and again, that's, that's something that I never really thought about. Um, I'm super, or have been super extroverted for most of my life to the point where I was spreading myself too thin out of fear of FOMO, out of fear of, you know, are they going to, are these people going to become closer without me there? Um, and also wanting to, wanting to be a people pleaser, always wanting to say yes to everything. And I think if COVID for me personally had any, has had any positive impact, it's that it's forced me to slow down and realize I actually don't want to go to all these things. And I don't need to be anxious that they're going to forget about me because they're my friends. They're not, they're not going to forget about me if I don't go to one party. And 
I just stopped saying yes to everything. And when I stopped saying yes and only saying yes to the things that I really wanted to do, I stopped having that really bad FOMO. And um, I would love to just touch on that. If you think the pandemic and, and staying, you know, with these close little cohorts of close people that we have, has that impacted FOMO in any way? That's a great question. And I, I'm sure that there are people out there that are already on the ball researching this. Um, so what I have noticed just anecdotally is that because social get togethers are fewer and further between, they're harder to like orchestrate. I found that, you know, any bachelor bachelorette parties that I've been invited to, it's like half the people can't go half the people are, you know, uncomfortable. It seems like those opportunities to bond with each other mean so much more than they used to. Like, um, I used to go to trivia every week. So there was a handful of people that I would just see them every week. If I missed a week, it's like, whatever, I'll go next week. I'm obviously still invited. There was that level of kind of casualness. Um, And again, I don't know if this is true, kind of, I haven't studied this empirically, but it seems like when there are get-togethers now, it's like, this is our shot. (laughs) It's hard to get everyone's schedules to coordinate and no one has COVID and everyone, you know, has free time in the next six months. Um, So I don't know, maybe FOMO is a little worse now, Um, but um, I also feel like to your point, people have also, you know, used this time to kind of realize that, you know, slowing down and being at home and, you know, uh, enjoying the downtime um, can also be healthy. So, so maybe, maybe it kind of nets out. Um, I don't know the answer. I wish I did. <laughs> no, totally. I, I totally get that. And, and to your last point, I feel like I personally have sort of reach this point where if I'm out and I really don't want to be, I, I have FOMO for the people who decided to stay home and watch a movie that night. And I became more comfortable being at home and FOMO. Maybe I have fear of missing out of, of more things now, but it's not just social situations. It's, um, it's kind of taught me to listen to myself and to listen to what I really need in that moment and, and not just say yes, because I'm scared that, you know, two random people that I met a few months ago are going to like become best friends without me. Um, so I think that's super interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of, kind of related to what you're saying, something that I I've observed over the last couple of years that maybe I've never even, I haven't thought about it this concretely. So you're actually helping me think about this, (laughs) but, um, pre COVID, um, we would, uh, study this notion of anxious attachment. We would ask people to talk about groups that they felt fairly anxious about their belongings. So we'd say, you know, tell us about this group where, you know, it's possible you like them more than they like you. You're not a hundred percent sure you're a member. It's all sort of tenuous. Um, And people would talk about groups, kind of, kind of aspirational groups. Like I really want to be part of this sorority. I really want to be part of this, um, kind of business organization. And I really like the people and I, I really hope they like me, you know, as much as I like them and, and, and I just want to belong. And that's sort of where that, that FOMO was coming from. If there's going to be a mixer or a conference or a trip, you know, it's like, I have to be there. And if I'm not, I'm in anguish. It's anguish. Nowadays, 
uh, I have noticed anecdotally that when we ask people to tell us about groups to which they feel anxiously attached, they'll say, you know, um, there's this, you know, mom group um, that that's in my area. And I, I'm never sure if they like me as much as I like them. But you know what? I don't need to expend my energy on people like that. I want to spend time with people who I know love me and who I know accept me. And and, and again, this is all anecdotal, but I right. almost feel like there's been this very subtle shift um, that when we're feeling this anxiety about, God, I, you know, I really don't want to miss out. I would hate for them to become closer. And then now suddenly I'm on the outside. It used to be a cue that I need to spend more time with them. I need to double down. I need to, you know, make sure they know how much I like them. It mm -hmm. almost seems like now maybe there's a trend to like, I don't need to put energy towards people that make me feel this way. Right. I want to spend time with people that just accept me unconditionally. A and it could be spurious, <laughs> but I'd like to think maybe that we're all sort of becoming a little bit more kind of level-headed and, and, yeah. and, you know, confident. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And anecdotally, I can tell you that's very true from, at least for me, that's, that's definitely how I feel. And I was literally just talking to a couple of my friends who I'm planning on speaking with for this podcast, how COVID kind of taught us that we don't necessarily need these in, it's kind of a, a, a blunt word to use, but like accessory friends, like people that we know tangentially that we are in some sort of group that we want to like feel like we belong to, we don't feel like we need the acceptance from those people nearly as much as we did before COVID because we spent so much time during COVID just with those people that made us feel worthy and loved always. And we kind of felt like we needed to be reminded of that, um, which I, I think is really pertinent for young people, especially coming out of college and trying to find their identities and trying to find their people we're less likely than to waste time on people who are just, you know, oh my gosh, these people are so cool. They're so gorgeous. They're so whatever I want to be. Why don't I just find people who like me for me? And I think that that's, I, I hope that more people, um, especially young people, people coming out of college in my situation, um, kind of see the world like that. And yeah. in speaking of young people, because I think, I mean, it affects everybody, but especially impressionable young people, how has social media played into this? Because when we talk about FOMO, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is like somebody's Instagram story out of the club. Like, that's what I think of. So how does that play into all of this? And especially in like young people's development um, and social lives, how does that all kind of work with FOMO? When I talked about what kind of we define FOMO as being, it's this sort of knowledge that you have kind of failed to partake in a bonding experience. Maybe right. maybe you chose it. Maybe you said, you know, I can't go or I won't go. So that that phenomenon is not unique to social media. Even right. since before social media, people have failed to partake in bonding experiences. What I think social media has done is a couple of things. One, we now have constant access to these ramifications of our decisions. So I say, thanks, but no thanks. I can't make it to this wedding. It's just not going to work out. And I can see all the evidence rolling in of the wedding as it's happening, the photos that are getting posted after, maybe there are inside jokes, the hashtags that I don't quite understand. It's all kind of happening in front of me. Um, so there's okay. just a lot more of those triggers. And then another piece of it that I think is interesting is that these things are so... Um, tangible now they're documented so yeah. when you think about kind of like 
inside jokes and things like that. It's, it's like an oral history. It's like, oh, remember that time that the example that I keep thinking of was I didn't go out to the bar with my friends and um, John Legend was there that night. Oh so I missed gosh. the opportunity to meet John Legend. <laughs> I was going to ask um, you what that story was. Yeah. Um, you know, there aren't, I don't think any pictures of it. So it's just like an oral history, but right. I suspect <laughs> that if there were pictures of it, it would feel even more intense. Um, so it's documented and it's there and it's plastered across the internet for everyone to see. Um, so I think that those are probably the ways in which it makes FOMO. It's sort of like all these triggers, potential triggers for FOMO are, are right at our fingertips and they're so vivid. Um, yeah. I kind of think that's, that's what's happening with social media. Right. Totally. And I feel like I, I kind of, I kind of grew up with social media. Like I was, I think in middle school when Instagram came out and I kind of, I feel like I kind of grew up alongside the internet almost, but especially social media and it's grown as I've grown and I've had to decide sort of how much of it I'm going to let into my life and how much I'm going to let it affect me. And I've had to, you know, delete Instagram off my phone for a, a couple months because I see, you know, X, Y, and Z are in Europe together. And I mean, I haven't talked to them in months, but it, you know, I, I still feel weird when I see that. And, um, I, I hope also that, that, you know, our generation, especially, you know, people my age who have kind of grown up alongside it and it's so pervasive in their lives can, um, not let it take over our lives. Cause I mean, in some ways it has, and, and for many people it has, but, um, it's a, it's yeah. a problem, I think. And it's, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you kind of raise a good point that when we're on social media, there's a lot of stuff that we can get bombarded with, not just FOMO. I mean, we can see people that are, you know, having more luxurious vacations than we are people who are staying at fancier hotels than we are. There's all of these kind of social comparisons that can come into right. play that create just like jealousy and envy, right? Like, you know, their, um, spring break trip is, yeah looks more interesting than mine. And so now I'm bummed out about that. And, and that kind of stuff, uh, I feel like is kind of hard to avoid unless you want to obviously delete the social media apps from your phone. There's always going to be people that are having a more fabulous time than you are. Um, right. What I think is unique about FOMO and what we've kind of been touching out throughout this call is that, you know, no one has excluded you in FOMO. There are no evident signs of exclusion. It's not like you were uninvited. That, that would hurt and that's a big deal but this is like you could have gone you didn't for whatever reason um no one's upset with you there's no kind of jealousy of you know their vacation is more elaborate than mine it's like I could have gone they're my friends right. I'm not there and that's what's causing us anguish because of this fear about the bonding that we're missing out on. So I hope that, you know, there's a million things we could get upset about from the internet, obviously. <laughs> this is one that I, I really do think that having this kind of more grounded perspective of, you know, these are my friends. They're not going to reject me if they have a nice time together and grow closer together that's great because yeah. I like those people and it's not like they like me any less. Um, I think there's a much healthier perspective that we can all try to learn um, and hopefully start to clear out kind of all the things about social media that can make us upset. <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. It's, I mean, it's 
every time I open my app, there's like, there's something to be upset. About. There's something that that can bother me if I let it. Yeah. Um, but it, but to sort of end on where that kind of positive note that you were just touching on, um, how would you say people can handle it? And I, I don't even know how to phrase that question, but like, if somebody's feeling really bad FOMO, if that's something that's very pervasive in their life, how do they get to that point? At least from your perspective to where they can feel more grounded and remind themselves, you know, these are my friends they are not actually excluding me. Yeah. I mean, I think that the obvious kind of more, you know, heavy handed answer is if you're trying to be in a decent headspace for whatever period of time, just don't go on social media. And I, yeah. I think that there are obviously, you know, some companies that have really committed to that. So I don't know if you've ever gone to a concert um, with the the Yonder packets. Um, I don't even know if they're still around, but they're these um, kind of scuba material little satchels and you put your phone in and they close it and it locks. So I went to a concert where everyone was given one of these little satchels and then on the way out, you give it back and it's to lock you from your phone. Um, And they're just saying, I mean, it's partially a a security thing. They don't want you taking pictures of the show, but um, a side effect is you just can't get on Instagram at, you know, intermission or as you're waiting for the show to start, Um, just kind of, you know, take take any chance for FOMO away. Obviously yeah. that's not feasible for all of us. Social media does also help us connect with people who we really like. So I'm not, I don't think it's all bad. Um, in that case, I, I, I feel like it's important to um, just challenge some of these negative beliefs that come up. Um, so when, when we ask people sort of in interview styles, what does FOMO feel like? What is that experience like? It is a lot of, you know, they're going to get closer to me, which by definition means that I'm less close, or mm-hmm. we're going to talk about this memory next month. And I'm going to be the only one that has no idea what they're talking about. And it's going to be so awkward and they're not going to like me anymore. It's a lot of these kind of, um, it's, it's, it's a lot of anxiety. It's almost like a paranoia. And I, I think that when you notice these thoughts coming up, just to kind of take a beat and think, you know, if these are people that I really love and I believe that they really love me or we've known each other for a long time, they're not going anywhere. You know, this is not likely to happen. Um, With the caveat being that if any of these fears do come true, then those are not the people you want in your life anyway. Um, So these, these fears are often kind of uh, irrational. And I, you know, I think kind of just slowing down, taking a beat and really kind of challenging some of those beliefs can hopefully uh, be helpful. Um, although that's just a perspective of mine. It's not something right. I've tested. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense to me. And I, I try to do that every single day. And I try to remind my friends of that when they're expressing those feelings to me. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that kind of wraps up our questions that are at least the questions that I had for you. Um, but where can people find your work? Because I was like, even just reading through the abstracts, I'm like, okay, I need to read this entire thing, like sit down, just get through it all. And, um, yeah, where can people find what you're doing? That is very kind. Um, so I have a website, it's just JacquelineRifkin.com, my first and last name. Um, I have a Twitter account, um, where I tweet about um, academic stuff, of course, mine and other people's who I enjoy, but also um, 
less academic kind of funny <laughs> things I find funny or interesting in the world. But yeah, I think my website's probably a decent place to start. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was such an eye-opening conversation. Um, I mean, I, I personally am taking so much from it and I've been thinking about this for, you know, a week now <laughs> straight. So um, I'm sure everybody listening will be able to gain a lot from it as well. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. I, um, I like talking about FOMO and I really like this take of yours about kind of moving into the post-grad life and navigating new dynamics and figuring out where you want to spend your energy. Cause at the end of the day, that's kind of really all we have. Um, I love that. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of friends after college. I really hope you got something out of it Um, and be sure to follow the show on Instagram and TikTok, both our friends after college pod. Also, if you want to leave a review of the show, wherever you're listening, that would be amazing and it would really help me out. I will be back next week with a brand new episode. Bye. Friends after college is an independently produced podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at friendsaftercollegepod. See you next week.